Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. And as I was thinking about that, I, I'm kind of depressed, just so you know. Uh, I have uh, enjoyed Alpha. And Alpha, if you aren't aware of Alpha, it's really a uh, taking a look at the basics of the Christian faith and doing it in the form of questions asking basic questions about the Christian faith um, in, in order to uh, be reminded of what we believe. Because it's interesting, if you've walked with the Lord for a long time, a lot of these, um, if you want to call them remedial things, you just stop thinking about them. They're just assumed that you believe them. And, um, and, and so sometimes it's good back to say, uh, ask that question about, you know, just these, these foundational things. Uh, for you that are new to your journey with Jesus or just considering uh, a walk with Jesus or maybe you don't even believe, um, these are important questions because what is happening in our world today is the Christian faith is being defined now by the media and pundits and all that. And so now the church is just sitting idle. And sitting, no way. Alpha says, no, let's step up and remind people about the most beautiful love story the world has ever known. And that's about a God that loves his people he created, sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for them so that they could be with him forever. And we get to celebrate that story. We've been walking through it. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will get you a Bible. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Uh, we'll be in different places in Scripture, but that's a, a great anchoring place. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. And so the question this week, uh, what about the church? Uh, why would that be the final question in this series? Because there's a point, as I just talked about, we've been walking through a journey uh, about uh, the Christian story, uh, a life with Jesus, who he is, what he does for us, what he can do for us, what he's provided for us, and it's amazing. But what Jesus also did is he built something that we can walk our story out in, that it can carry us in our Jesus journey. And that's something that we know and we call the church. And the church uh, is one of the most powerful entities that ever has been created on this earth. Uh, because the church makes an impact, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. I know for me and my wife, Sandy, we are so thankful for the church, you know, as young marriage with a child, um, you know, agnostic, atheist, just some sort of, you know, mutt of spiritual belief. Uh, it was the church that came and got us, found us, invited us in, cared for us, loved us, and it changed our life forever. So I love the church. I want to be part of an institution, an organization that goes and gets people that are lost for Jesus. Right. You know, I'm up here because of the church. You know, they came and found me, and now I have for the last, I always lose count, it's somewhere around 26 or 27 years, something like that. I've been working in full-time ministry. Uh, and what these eyes have seen, uh, lives transformed, people's um, uh, families mended and healed, amazing work. I've been all over the world in the name of Jesus, watching him do incredible work through his people. 
and that's because I am part of the church. And so I love the church. And so I'll be one of those people that, you know, when they start complaining about the church and the media and stuff, that's one of my, I'm not much of a yeller, but that's when I'll yell back at the TV, you know, uh, don't talk about the bride of Christ that way because she is beautiful and powerful and the world desperately needs her, right? So we're going to talk about the church. So what about the church? What about the church? Uh, look at Matthew chapter 16, and we're just going to look at a, a few things. And what I love about Alpha is we start with the sermon, and then we get to talk about it in our small groups. And I, and I really mean this. If you're not in an Alpha group and you want to be in one, come for the last meeting, right? Come, hang out, because these groups are amazing. And I've been hearing about people's lives changed and transformed in small little ways, and for others in big, incredible ways. Um, so you can still be part of Alpha. You go to the next step, table, and you let them know, I want to come for the last week, and you'll join a group. And, and you're going to talk about this, the church. So what about the church? I want to start with this point, that the church uh, is about a person. It's about a person, that first point. And I want to read in Matthew 16 to you. And let me set this up. In Matthew 16, you're going to see Jesus talking to his disciples. And they have, he's taken them on a retreat. I heard some people call it a leadership retreat. Um, but it's a retreat up north to a place called Caesarea Philippi. It's north of Galilee. And that's where Jesus' primary ministry was is in Galilee. They're north of the Sea of Galilee. Well, it's about 25 miles north of it. I've actually been there. It's an amazing, beautiful place. It's got a natural springs that feed the Jordan River. Um, it is um, a place that has this huge cave and these incredible streams and ponds and stuff. And just, it's lush and beautiful. So definitely retreat-like. But also this place uh, serves as a great background for something that Jesus is going to basically tip his hand to and begin talking about, something new. Uh, because what happens is there, it, it, for the, the Greeks, it was the center of their pagan worship, fertility worship, the uh, Greek god of Pan. And Pan, P-A-N, um, and you've seen the pictures of him, he's half goat, half man. Kind of odd to look at, just so you know. I was like, ooh, that's weird. Um, it, but Pan was the god of fear. Uh, the word panic comes from the god of Pan. Panic, fear. Right? And they had built an altar to Pan, uh, and they had some other fertility gods that they would worship there. In fact, if you go there today, you can see some uh, carvings in the rocks that were altars, and they would put idols up there that represent these gods so that they could worship them. And they would do horrible things up there. And I will not tell you that. You can read about it. There's kids here. Um, but they would um, uh, worship there at the base of this cave that would, again, a spring came from it to feed the Jordan but also became the home to uh, Philip the Tetrarch, uh, a regional Roman leader. And that's why it's Caesarea Philippi, the name of it. And it was a place that he lived, and that was his capital. So it also represented the power of Rome over time. So you've got these other gods, these false gods, as a background for Jesus' uh, introduction he's going to give. But also it is uh, the power of Rome is represented there. So Caesarea Philippi is this uh, important place that Jesus takes his disciples up to, away from the Jewish community. It's, it's Gentile community. 
Um, so they're not in the hustle bustle of all the fight they've been having around the Jewish faith, and he's going to introduce something to them. Let's listen to Jesus' conversation with them. Start at verse 13, Matthew 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Son of Man is reference to him. Who do they say that I am? Verse 14. And they said, some say John the Baptist. They're meaning like a reformer like John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Elijah is a great prophet in the Old Testament, a miracle worker. And others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, or someone who's bringing the word of God. Verse 15. And I think this is, for, in verse 15, memorize this. Because I think this is something we all have to do continuously. Here's, he says this to him, verse 15. He said this, but who do you say that I am? And his point is, it doesn't matter what they say. They can say whatever they want. They can sound convincing. What's important is, who do you say that Jesus is? Important question. Such an important question. Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What he's saying is, you are the, the Christ, the anointer, the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. He's saying, you are God. You come from God. You're God. So a powerful statement of Jesus being Messiah and Jesus being God. Verse 17, and Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. And this is interesting. This is his Aramaic name. Um, and Simon means uh, a waving reed, mean unstable. And if you know Simon in Scripture, that describes him. Very unstable, right? Uh, and Bar means son, and Jonah is the name of his father. It's Jonah or John. And that name is interesting. It means one who dabbles in wine, right? And so it's funny. If you take these uh, names, it's... Uh, you are Simon, the son of an alcoholic. You are the wavering one who's the son of an alcoholic. Kind of a nice little resume here. Um, uh, but what he's doing it for, because he's going he's to change his name, is you're going to be something different, right? And this is this transformation and power of Jesus. He says, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven... And I tell you, it is, and 18 is our center verse for today. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, the name Peter means rock. Um, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And, and there it's really important. I talked about that cave uh, and that water source. What they believed, the Greeks, is this is where all the uh, evil spirits and demons came from. Uh, that was Hades, uh, the place of the dead, or hell. And this is the um, uh, source of that. And so when Jesus is saying this, he's saying uh, the evil of this world, you know, the false religions, even the power of Rome, will not prevail against this thing that I'm introducing to you called the church. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he told them, do not tell anyone about this, right? The time is coming for that. So what Jesus did here is Jesus introduced them 
to the church. But whose church is it? Verse 18, whose church is it? I will build my church. Whose church? It's Jesus' church. And this seems like a small point, but it's important. It belongs to no man. It is Jesus' church. North Shore Christian Church is Jesus' church, not man's. And that's important because Jesus tells us in Acts 20, 28, he says, this thing I'm going to build, uh, this church, I'm going to purchase it with my blood. I'm going to go to the cross for this. My bride, I love her. I want her to be with me and I will die for her. And then he tells us in Colossians 1, 17 and 18, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, he says, I'm going to lead her too. This is my church that I'm going to build. I'm going to purchase it with my blood. And I'm going to lead this. I'm going to be the head of this church. I'm going to lead it. Now, we live in a time that everybody wants to lead the church, quote, unquote. You know what I mean? Everybody wants to go their own way. It's important. Our challenge as we look at this as Jesus' church is to allow him to be the head of it. I can speak for myself, but I am an arrogant stinker, right? I think I know way more than I really do. I am selfish. I want things my way, right? And guess what? It's not my church. And that's a really, really good news, right? You should be applauding and we should be celebrating right now. Yes, uh, it's his church. It's Jesus' church. And our challenge is to let him lead this church, right? And there's an incredible amount of social pressure, right? For us, man, to define the church and what role it plays in society. And we went through a season, whew, Last few years, and everybody's trying to tell us what the church is or isn't. And no, it's his church. He decides, you know, politically, right? I tell you what, um, you know, love you guys, um, but there's an incredible amount of political pressure to represent, you know, politics and policies and all these things. Um, and guess what? You know, I have one politician. His name is Jesus. Um, I want to follow him. And I'll follow him everywhere. Will I follow him to the ballot box? You better believe I will. Will he be there? Yes, he will be there. Uh, and I will follow him when I, whatever I do, right? How we're taking votes anymore. But there's an incredible amount of political pressure to redefine the church so that it matches, you know, certain parties and certain beliefs. No, it's, it's his. You know, morally, right? Incredible pressure to stray from Jesus' church, right? No, we want to do, no, this is okay. No, 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 he didn't mean that. No, 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 this is what we think he meant. This is what I want to do. And there's an incredible pressure morally to rewrite the book and get our eyes off of Jesus, even personally, right? You know, it's my time my money, it's my this, my that. No, don't have time for church. No, I'll go, you know, if the Seahawks aren't playing, I'll, you know, we just, whatever, I'll show up if I want to. Ah, I'm a little tired this morning. Nah, who cares? It's, yeah, I know it's Jesus' church. 
I'm, I'm chill. Um, and so there's a lot of pressure. I'm not saying if you've missed church, you're a horrible person. But my point is, we put ourselves in the centerpiece of the story on the throne. But it's Jesus' church. It's his. And everything should be filtered through that. As I look at the state of things, I see this, that we've gone back, in a sense, to the garden. And here's what I mean by that. Back to the garden. Uh, the garden, remember when sin entered this world? It was Adam and Eve um, at the base of the tree uh, of the knowledge of good and evil that God said, don't eat that or you'll surely die. And the serpent talking, remember that? And what happens is it says, well, that fruit looks good. Uh, probably tastes good. Um, did he really say that? I want to be wise. I want to be like God. I mean, I can put myself in the centerpiece of the story. Um, so I'm going to twist and change what God said so that I'm here. And that's when sin entered the world, right? The fruit was taken and they understood everything God said and why that it was actually the greatest love command to not eat that. But today in church, in churches, we get to a place where we want to be the leaders. Man, I'm talking about but it's Jesus's church. And there's a commitment that we have at North Shore, right? This is going to be a Jesus-centered church. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, is, uh, <laughs> um, is no matter what comes our way, right? This guy will be standing with Jesus, right? And if I'm the lead pastor here, uh, you're going to find me with Jesus. That's the only place I'm going to be. I'm not going to be drugged and swayed uh, by all these other things that. Uh, you know, social, political, moral, even personal. The answer is Jesus and him only. We got the greatest compliment you could get. Someone uh, started recently coming to our church and someone asked him about what they thought. And uh, the quote that I heard was, you, you guys are real serious about Jesus. I know that. I thought, boy, you couldn't have complimented us anymore. So congratulations to you, right? Uh, we are letting Jesus be the head of this church. It's our promise. It's Jesus always, Jesus only. Um, and I trust it and believe in there's a people that are desperate for hope that Jesus brings, and they're going to find him here. Not us being tossed to and fro by the whims of this world. That's Christ and him only, right? So what about the church? It's about a person, but also it is about a people. It's about a people. Because Jesus, right, uh, does this amazing thing, right, that he creates a new place for his presence. We studied a couple weeks ago in John 14, John 15, both of them talk about this. Jesus says, I'm going to go and I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit, God's presence, and he's going to testify to everything I say. And he's going to be with you. He's going to indwell you forever. And in your notes, 1 Corinthians uh, 3, 16, it says, we are the temple of God, us individuals, us people, that this is a new place for the presence of God is in individuals, in people, in you, in me as followers of Jesus. And that is powerful because it creates a new truth for us. And that new truth is this, that wherever you are follower of Jesus, the presence of God is there. You don't have to go to a building 
to worship God because they used to go to the temple to worship God. They used to face the temple because that's where God's presence is in their prayers. Jewish people still do that today. Looking toward Jerusalem. But Jesus makes this promise and then fulfills it in Acts. gives us the Holy Spirit, Spirit of God in us. The new temple for this new truth that it's not about a building, but it's about a people. It's about a person, you, with Jesus in you. And here's the pressure, right? Everywhere you go, uh, you take the church with you because you are the church. When someone complains about the church, guess what? They're talking about you. I know most of you, and you're, they're lying. <laughs> you're good. I love you. But we have to understand that, that it, it's the good news that the presence of God is with us at all times. But there's a responsibility. Everywhere I go, guess what? I bring Christ with me. God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit in me. I represent the church. So if I act a fool, guess what? I bring shame upon him, his church. If through him I do something right and well, guess what? That reflects on him, right? Because the church is about a people. Uh, It's about us walking our faith out, living that out. But he does this too, so hopefully you're still in Matthew 16, 18. I want to read that verse 18 again. It says here, I tell you, this is verse 18 of Matthew 16. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That word church, uh, that word has not been used. This is the first time it's being used. Jesus is introducing a, a new word, ecclesia. Greek word for church. Now, they've used this word. They had trouble trying to figure out uh, what word do we use. The word ecclesia means just a gathering. People are gathered. Oftentimes in Greek and before this, it was used for political gatherings. Or people gather for political reasons or whatever. It simply means gathering. But Jesus is bringing new meaning to it. Right? That there's something about this ecclesia. This church that is about people. And so as you start looking through the New Testament, um, you'll see the meaning. It doesn't change. He gives a definition in reference to it being the church. And that is a, a called out assembly. The called out ones. That's what the ecclesia is. And we're called out from where? The church. These individuals are called to assemble. They're called out of the Jewish faith and all faith. If you remember the background I told you he's talking in, and I don't know where he's standing in this moment, but I'm guessing they can look right over the shoulder, and there's this big cave that represents all the darkness, all of hell, all the evil. There it is, the world. And look over to his right shoulder and see all the power of Rome. He says, you are called out of this. You are called out of um, these different faiths and journey. You're called to be my followers. You're called into Christ. You're called out of this world and uh, this um, grotesque, I'll say, uh, morality, um, this grotesque pursuit of power. That is not of my kingdom. 
you are called ecclesia out of that. And you're called to come together, you individuals that have the presence of God with you. And you are called in that gathering, when two or three are gathered, when we come together, becomes what we know as the church, when we make reference to it. And the church is simply, there's two main references in scriptures. There's the local church and the universal church. And the local church is what you're experiencing right now. And it's not these lights and these buildings and this internet, none of that. Right? It's you coming together as believers in Jesus Christ for the purpose of, and we'll look at that later. You're, you're the local church. That's how it's used most in scripture. The ecclesia of the church is a coming together of followers of Jesus gathering, called out from the world, the power of that faith, called into Jesus, and we come in together to reflect, remember, and worship that. The assembly, the called out assembly, we're called together. And scripture uses some metaphors to describe what the church is, what this gathering is, and then hopefully in that you can learn what God has for you but also from you, because the church is this place that you're invited to and you get something from. But also as you enter into it, you begin to give something so others can get something from. It's this cool journey. So the metaphors, I use the first one we see in, um, uh, where's this one now? This is in first, I gotta figure out, I don't wanna tell you wrong, I'll be lying to you. First Timothy 3.15, and you don't have to turn out, but the household of God, the household of God is a metaphor scriptures use for the church. And a household is just like it stands. As we already talked about, a household in the Bible is this place of authority. You're under someone's authority. Authority is the patriarchs back in the day. We know for the church, it's Jesus. But also the household is where your home is. Right? How many of you went home for Thanksgiving? Home for Thanksgiving? Um, and that feeling when you go home and what it feels like. I was having a conversation with my son-in-law and talking. I remember as an adult, um, I mean, I was a grown man, right? But when I would go home, it just felt different. I just felt cared for, taken care of. The weight of responsibilities got lifted. Do you know that feeling of home? And you, uh, people like me that have adult kids, you love it because you can see it when they come. Because uh, I was uh, talking to my son-in-law, he goes, it was really good. He goes, hey, well, my wife, your daughter acts a little different when we come home. I said, yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> right? um, and I said, that's a good thing. Because what it is, because I remember feeling, I didn't understand it. Right? Over years, I've come to understand it is because I come in and I feel safe. I feel cared for. Right? Taken care of. You know, encouraged. You know, these people in this place are my fans. You know, and so you go home. That's the household of God. It's home. And we'll talk so much here about North Shore. I want North Shore not just to be a place you stop on a weekend. I want this to be a home. I want you to walk in and see people you know and that you know love and care for you. We're your biggest fan. You're our biggest fan. Right? We are together. The household of God. Right? The household of God. The next thing it talks about is the family of God. The family of God. In Romans uh, 12, 
uh, no, excuse me, this is 1 Corinthians um, 3. It, it talks about this is the family of God. And the family of God is that place where we have special relationships. So looking at just the, all the phrases used when it describes our relationship, it says God is our Father, right? That whole familiar, right? Uh, it says that we are His children, followers of God. It says we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are the family of God. And when he talks about it, he's talking about the relationships that we have, that love that we have for each other. Again, that nurturing and that care. This place, I, I tell you guys what, um, and, and I love this feeling. I love it when I'm away and I, I miss you. I miss standing back there shaking your hand in the lobby, just seeing you, hearing your stories, you know, the things you're celebrating, the things that are hurting bad. And you think, boy, here is the family of God, the ones that love each other. There's nothing like family, is there? And God wants the church to be your family, a place that you are loved, agape, loved, unconditional, right? Where you get to go, you're accepted, you're received. And they love you so much, they're going to draw deep alongside of you, right? Because families do relationships. We talk about all the beauty, but we also have a lot more tension, don't we? Because we care so much deeper about each other that we get into the mess. Other people say, oh, that's good. What's family do? No, no, we're talking about that. And here we come. You know, going to be a little heated. You know, we're going to be a little whatever, you know, because we're down in a deep place in our lives. We're going to talk about it. Because that's what family does. It's how you grow. You need a spiritual family. That's why the local church is so important and not something just to be disregarded. It's the family of God. It's also the body of Christ, another metaphor used, the body of Christ. Um, in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, each talk about the body of Christ, that we are all one member, but we belong to each other. We've been given various gifts from the Holy Spirit for the common good to build up God's house. So the family or the body of Christ is just that picture. It is the body, right? A picture of our body, our hands, our eyes, our nose, our mouth, our feet, everything. In order for me to do what I'm doing right now, there is a lot of things that have to be working together, don't they? And they all have to work together to make this possible. The same is true about the mission of the church. For it to be possible, the body of Christ has to understand that they are a member of the body of Christ. They have a function, a unique place that is needed, and then step into that and say, yes, I understand that, and I will be that function. Because if my left leg stopped working right now, this would get really odd, wouldn't it? If my tongue just froze, guess what? You get home earlier, but it'd get a little weird. The mission wouldn't happen. And it just goes further and deeper and deeper. My heart, my mind, everything engaged in communicating to you right now. The body of Christ, we all belong to each other. There's a function we have, and we have to understand that. And I believe this, to have, that the fullness of the experience that in Christ on this earth, you have to understand what body part you are and step into it and use it. And there is great joy in that because God will use it for his kingdom. Because remember, he says, I'm going to give you, Matthew 16, the keys 
for the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you do down here uh, would be loose from heaven. You, I'm going to do heavenly, powerful work right here in you and through you. Here's your role, follower of Jesus. Go be the body of Christ for the mission of Christ. So let's look at that last point then. What is the church about? What about the church? Uh, it is about a purpose. It's about a purpose. And if you look in that purpose, uh, very, very clear, Matthew 28, uh, verses 19 through 20, or 16 through 20, actually. Um, and in there, it talks about something you'll hear us talk a lot about, is what is the purpose? You find it in a command. Go and make disciples. You know, Jesus gave this command. Um, he died, uh, gone to the grave, rose again, uh, came back for 40 days, and in his departing, he called his disciples together. He said, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Uh, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to be about, church, you disciples, you followers of Jesus, church. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Okay? Go, what does that mean? It means go. See there, you're a, you're a scholar, right? It means to go. As you're going to go, go from where you're at into something different. Sometimes that's relationally. Sometimes that is a mindset. Sometimes that's actually physically of going. Okay? That you go uh, and then make disciples. Make disciples is not to share a quick word and get out. Make is, think of like a recipe, right? Thanksgiving this last week, lots of recipes done, right? You, know, you got in there. Sometimes these recipes you have in your head, right? Grandma's recipe you're using, here you go. Sometimes, you know, you, like me, it's like quarter cup, quarter cup, okay. You know, and I still mess up. I don't even know why. This, um, but it's about making. It's getting involved in something. And it's a process. It's a journey that you are intimately engaged in, Okay. So make disciples. And what is a disciple? Uh, Matthew 4, 19 is really clear, right? It's Jesus' invitation to his disciples when he tells them what he's going to do with them. So we get the definition there. He says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You see, it's about following Christ. It's, and then it's about being transformed and changed, right? About your heart changed. And then our mission in life changing. What we're about changes because of the changed heart, understanding who Christ is, and our mission changes. Right? That's what a disciple is. And I love this part. Who does he call them to go to? All nations. And you have to understand, these are a pack of Jewish boys. Right? They're still pretty young guys. Um, and he's saying all nations mean nations over there. Not this place. Not you, where your faith is lived out in practice. Okay? Not your patterns. Not your ethnic group. Right? Not your social economic group. Right? I want you to go away from this into something else and go into all of them. Bringing this gospel message, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Spirit, teaching them to, to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And here's the good thing. And so this is what the church's purpose is, is to make disciples. There's a promise in verse 20. It says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Because remember I told you at the beginning of this, it's about a person. It's about Jesus. And he promises to have his spirit within us. He will be with us always. So that sounds hard. One of the scariest things for most Christians is to share their faith. Right? 
And many of you believers went into your homes this Thanksgiving with non-believers. That's the scariest place to share your faith. Why? Because you have the most to lose relationally. It's terrifying, actually. It's way easier to go out in the street and yell at some stranger. Not saying do that, okay? (laughs) But that would be easier than sitting there across to someone that you love sharing about Jesus because the cost is so great to you relationally. But there's a promise that I will be with you always. Jesus will be with you. And so we're going to finish off today with just looking at the church being the church. And in Acts chapter 2, after the Spirit of God comes, the Holy Spirit comes, and Acts 2 is the birth of the church. So we actually get a, a window to what does the church look like. What does it look like when a church understands it's about a person? It's about a people coming together uh, for the mission that they have. We get to see it. I'm going to read this. Acts 2, starting in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing it to the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. So what does it look like when the church is the church? Um, it really looks like this. And if you see some of our signage out there here, uh, it's really the vision path. And that's where we get it from. Is what was the church supposed to do? What does a disciple do? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? Right? It looks like passionately pursuing Jesus. One. Two, radically loving one another. Three, compassionately serving our neighbors, those around us. And fourth, relationally discipling all people. So you see them passionately pursuing Jesus. I love how it opens up in verse 42. They devoted themselves. They were committed. They were devoted. They were passionate. This chunk of scripture, as I read it, um, I hope you can just see the emotion and just the focus of this is what we're about. We are all in. Uh, and they're all in with the apostles' teaching, right? Uh, they were uh, praying together. Daily, they would still go to the temple uh, and pray together, right? Because God's house is, uh, we're called to have it be a house of prayer where we are dependent on Christ and we go to him in prayer. Uh, you know, they worship together. And we see in Scripture, other places, they're singing. We sing songs. We're not just, you know, killing time. You know, worship's a very powerful part of it because here's what's cool about worship. Sometimes it's my most favorite part of the service for you. You know why? Because in worship, it's you talking to God. Because when you sing those words, I'm going to guarantee you, uh, we sing a phrase. Yes, we all understand that phrase but it has different meanings to you because it lands right in your life, wherever you're at. These words mean something different to you, uh, and they're speaking to you. So you and God are having this personal, beautiful conversation when we corporately sing. But we are also, as a local church, um, raising up corporately what we believe to be true. So it's just just this cool combination, this dual activity of worship, and they were doing that. Uh, They were breaking bread. They were having communion together, right? They were having dinners together. 
You saw awe and wonder as they watched what God can do, transform lives. And I tell you what, this is, I love this season of North Shore. Um, I've seen so many more people in the last two years give their lives to Jesus. I've seen more people get baptized than I've ever seen since I've been here, even when our numbers are down. I love it, right? Because you see these lives changing and transforming. Um, and, you know, now I'll talk about this in a few minutes, but it's such an important time for that to be passionately pursuing Jesus. And then radically loving one another. Man, they loved each other, didn't they? You imagine going to sell everything you have just to give to other people? I mean, that's crazy talk. I won't even preach about it. It makes me uncomfortable to say that. And would I have that faith? I'd want to. But that's what we're seeing. They sold everything for each other. And anybody who had need, right, they gave to you. They make sure that they're taken care of. And that is love. That is radical love. You know, and God gave me that, that vision for us to know. Sure, I hope you don't miss that, that our love is to be radical. Something the world just can't understand. How in the world can that people come together and love like that? I hope the only answer is it's so radical that it's supernatural, that it's divine, that it's God, that it's Jesus, right? And I tell you what, it's really, really hard because I'm human. I'm not God. I'm selfish. And I struggle. I want things my way. Um, I don't want people to get in my lane, if you would, right? And I become very human very fast sometimes, right? But through the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus, I hope also found in me is when he works in me and through me, there's something supernatural, something divine as I love people. And we can see that in this story, this first church, it gets people's attention. It gets people's attention. And they compassionately served their neighbors. You know, I mean, in gener generosity, they just took care of each other, loved each other, were each other, fed each other. It's incredible. Service is an important thing. Here's why I believe service is so important and why it's in our vision statement. I think it's in service when we see ourselves being like Jesus the most. Generous, sacrificial, right? Caring for someone else's needs above ours. Who's that sound like? Jesus. And so I recognize that Jesus. I feel close to him when I do that. And I watch the impact in someone's life. Um, I'm reminded how powerful our Jesus is. So compassionately serving our neighbors, so important. And it's important that it's our neighbors, people around us, people God has put in our sphere, people different than us, right? Because it wakes up grace in us. And we need grace because that's how we're saved is through grace. And when we give it out, we better understand it. And that last piece really just wraps off is relationally di disciple all people. Just like the call says, to all nations make disciples. That is what the church is called to do. And it's not just a, hey, let me tell you about Jesus and step out. It's about doing life with somebody. It's about caring about them before they are Christians or saved, that you love them because God created them, regardless of what they believe, regardless of what they practice. You love them because they were created in the image of God. Because guess what? Jesus did that very thing for us. So discipleship starts there. And it goes into sharing the gospel, seeing lives, their lives transformed, and them growing up spiritually. And you know this because it's true of me, it's true of you. When you were first a Christian, you were a knucklehead Christian. 
right? You're, I mean, I was a knucklehead as a Christian. I loved Jesus. I would almost say too much. I didn't know how to love him. Right? I was just, blah, Jesus. You know, I was like, settle down, calm down. Um, and I'm going to change the world in a couple days is the goal, I think. Um, uh, but I was, but I grew, I had to go through that, just that stage of my spiritual space. And I needed that. I needed to shut everything down that wasn't of Jesus because I had so many other vices that were keeping me from him before. So there had to go a season of, whew, all done, right? And then you mature, you grow, you serve, and then all of a sudden you partner in this making disciples. Um, so we re- uh, relationally invest in people's lives and their spiritual journey, the whole thing, um, uh, all people, all people. The church should be the most inclusive place in the entire planet because of Jesus, right? All people are welcome here, and we're going to talk about Jesus, and we're going to love them with grace, mercy, forgiveness, and all the things that we've received from Jesus. So I want to end today with this, okay? So we always end with the next steps. It starts with this. is You've got to be in the church, right? It starts with you being in the church, and there's only one gateway, John 10 tells us, to that, and that's Jesus Christ. He loves you so much that he went to the cross for you, for your sins, Sins that you know about, sins you don't know about, sins that we inherited from just creation, right? What they call it the original sin. It's just there. And any reasonable thinker could stop and look around and say, yeah, I know for me, when I was an atheist, like, yeah, the world's screwed up. It's bad, yeah. I get it. You didn't have to convince me that the world was full of sin and I was full of sin. Guess what? I knew me. I knew it. So we know that. Uh, we all have it. But God loved us so much, he sent Jesus Christ. And while we were yet sinners, it says Christ died for us so that we can be redeemed and adopted into his family, uh, relationship with him, and be in his church, right? And so I want to encourage you, you have to be in it. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, it starts there. Come talk to me. Come to talk to one of the people up here on our prayer team. Talk to somebody if you don't understand. Call out to Jesus. He is faithful and just, and he will save you. The second thing, if you are a follower of Jesus, we need to be the church. We absolutely need to be the church. Because um, there is so much criticism of the church in this um, era. Right? I mean, the church is uh, almost becoming a four-letter word. All oh, the churches, yes, I just hear so much negative talk. I'll tell you what, you don't want to see the world with the church remote. 75% of the humanitarian aid, guess where it comes from? in the entire world, the church. Guess who is focused in on uh, civil rights? You see civil rights thing kick up, you're not going to find the church. Every person in church, no. But you're going to find the church close to that. You know, gender equality. There wasn't a more person balancing the gender equality in the world than Jesus Christ generosity, the transformed lives that the church brings. This world, they complain about church. They do not want to see the world without the church. It's powerful. It's beautiful. But here's the problem. Okay, We need the church now like we've never needed the church before. And I say that a little tongue-in-cheek. But here's the deal. Is we went through one of the most challenging times, uh, definitely my lifetime, this generation, uh, and you see the church in the relationship with the world around it, really kind of shaking and quaking. And in some ways, you see it breaking down. Right? But 
as always, God calls his people to rise up, right? And I think this is the most beautiful time for the church to be the church because the world needs it. The world learned the last three months that science is not going to save them. Some little thing that we can't see, guess what? It's going to put us, shut us all down, put us in our house, and maybe America falls apart because of it. This little virus thing, guess what? Love the medical field, but it's not going to save us. Right? Politics, can you count on that? Yeah, we all laugh. Yeah, absolutely not. Now, we kind of knew that before. We're halfway convinced now. That's not going to save us. There's only one name that can save it. It's Jesus Christ. And the church represents that. And you're the church. I want to read some scripture to you of Jesus calling out his people. Israel. This is Isaiah 60. Verses 1 through 3. And this is my challenge to you today. Is to wait, to arise, and be the church. Be about it. It says, arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall never or shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and the nation shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. God is calling his people to rise up, calling Israel to rise up. I think the same words are true of us. Rise up, church. It is time for us to be the church. We not sit on our hands, not be cowards, not think, oh, the world's big, bad, they don't like us. No, no. We bring a message of hope, and we bring it in a, a container and capacity called the church that is full of grace and of love as we point to Jesus Christ. We have a message uh, that is undeniable if we walk with Jesus. But church, we have to rise up. I want to challenge you. You know, we're going to sing about this. Um, for the sake of the world, that's why God sent you. That's what we're wrapping up this whole Alpha series. We look at the Jesus story. Uh, it is going to be the church that is going to help you spiritually grow. Step into it. Step into it. Stop making it just this second, third, fourth level uh, option. Be committed. Be committed. Jesus was, wants you to be. Right? Church needs you. The world needs us. They need a place they can find hope because where they built it on the last X number of decades just fell apart. And it's been dark. Darkness is all around them. But there's a place of hope and light. It's called the church. It's called you.